Greetings, God's beloved. Thanks for tuning in to Messages of Hope, the sermon podcast from Living Hope Lutheran Church in downtown Las Vegas. Today is our anniversary as a church. It's also Reformation Sunday, and our reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 5, 1 through 5, and chapter 8, 1 through 13. The gospel is from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, 19 through 21. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Happy Reformation Day. You know, where we wonder this sometimes. We wonder this a lot. Where is God? I talked to my kids about this, and Jacob says, in my heart. Is God in everyone's heart? I said, yes, I think so. Is God here in this building? Is God high up on a cloud? Sure. Mount Charleston? Laguna Beach? Yeah. Oh, we could go there. <laughs> Down in the washes underneath the Las Vegas Strip? You betcha. You don't have to go looking. God is always near, but as human beings, we have physical bodies and five senses. We like to have a touch point, an awareness, a sight set apart for holy things. We need a container, even though we know God cannot be contained. The world is our temple, indeed, but here in this place, where the organ plays and the piano with great joy, and the children laugh, and the people sing, we feel near to the Lord. This is where the Word lives. We hear about Solomon's temple in our reading today. and uh, We kind of skipped over the part where they actually built the temple, but they did. And got me thinking about houses and the places that we dwell in and what they mean. We bought our house a little over seven years ago from Melinda. She was a member of this congregation. Some of you remember her. She was moving away. While we were sad to see her go, we were grateful for a place to live in the neighborhood. I said, oh, Melinda, I'm sorry that you're, you're moving away to Washington. Your kids are great. We love you. Can we see your house? <laughs> we were looking. It was built in 1961 and had seen a fire at some point, uh, gone through renovations and multiple paint schemes. was once owned, we learned, by the garden editor of our local paper, The Review Journal and featured some beautifully kept landscaping features. In the last couple of years, we've made some changes of our own. We've tried to improve things a bit, replacing a deck and a front walk, and painting some walls, removing a dead tree. It's always something, right? Mm -hmm. We craft our surroundings to fit our needs. With a growing family and four kids that need space to play, we make, make it our own. So our house is filled with memories. It's the place where Jacob was born where family gathers for holidays, and where we play and eat and rest, but ultimately, what is it? It's wood and stucco and some brick, some walls and a roof. It won't last forever. It means a lot to us, not because of how it looks, but because of what's inside. Over the last two weeks, we got to hear from Lourdes Olson about how God saw past the outward appearance of David and looked at his heart. And Pastor Matt shared about the promises of God to always be saving us. And this week we hear about the son of King David, Solomon, fulfilling the word of God to build the great temple. See, we know David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but he says because of the armies around him. But really because of David's transgressions, God told him he would not be the builder. David was a warrior too, right? That would be reserved for his son. So when the time came, David anointed Solomon to be king. 
controversial choice. But in time, he consolidated his power, formed alliances, and signed trade deals with the neighboring nations to build this temple. So he would get cedar from Lebanon, Phoenicia, all the building materials. And we can imagine, like today, they, pieces were built in other places and brought to the site to be constructed. Well, the temple, what, this is a big job, right? The temple was beautiful and adorned not with images of gods like other temples, but with carvings from nature, with palm trees and flowers and cherubim, a reminder of God's good creation. The temple was built there on Mount Moriah, a place where we heard of Abraham and Isaac, where God provided what was needed for the sacrifice. And there, as they dedicated the temple, they brought out all the animals for the sacrifice. We can imagine sheep and goats and cattle and birds and all these things, and they laid them all out, and they had a big barbecue. A thick cloud filled the space. It was a reminder of God's presence in the wilderness when God led them by a pillar of smoke by day and by fire by night. There where the sacrifices were made, God was present. The temple was a place for God to dwell so that the people would know how and where to commune with the Lord, be able to offer their gifts and sacrifices, a place for the Lord to live. Well, another building project began a little over 500 years ago uh, in Rome, where the church began the construction of St. Peter's Basilica. As part of this fundraising effort, priests were sent out all across the Holy Roman Empire to the people, preaching and soliciting financial contributions. Yes, they sold something called indulgences. They were special certificates. The get-out-of-jail-free card, right? No. <laughs> Certificates of blessing or privilege that granted the bearer a shortened term in purgatory. Now, if you haven't spent time in the Catholic Church, it might be very confusing, but it's enough to know that Martin Luther was the most well-known one preaching against this practice. Not from the beginning. He came around, though. The Reformation began when Luther wrote a memo called the 95 Theses, articles to be debated within the church, Focus on the errors of the Pope and the centrality of the word of God, grace and forgiveness. What is it about a temple? We like pretty buildings. I have seen cathedrals and basilicas before, churches big and small. Some of you have been to Rome, to some of these magnificent houses of worship across Europe and across the world and here at home. In England, in New York City, maybe even in Las Vegas, so many of these buildings stand empty most of the time. They might be used for musical performances, maybe a wedding, maybe a funeral here and there. They are beautiful places, but they're made for something else. They're made for hearing the word and for the glory of God. So maybe we treat Martin Luther like a temple. We talk about him a bit too much. Maybe we, we bow at his feet more than we should. Many of his writings, though, yes, of course, hold, we hold up as central to our practice of faith. We call ourselves Lutherans, even though he would shudder at the thought. He did not want anyone to be called that. But these writings, as they give way to God's grace, as they help us to understand what this word is doing in our lives and in our world, they help. They give us freedom. They, they remind us of this freedom that God has given us to love and serve one another. But others of his writings included violent anti-Semitism. 
We do not accept those. We do not worship the man, but share in his joy of the word of the Lord. God, you remember, went with the people in the desert. Traveled with the Jewish people in the wilderness in tents and tabernacles. The people moved around, so God went with them. When they were settled, some things changed. They were in this land God had promised them. And David brought the Ark of the Covenant home. What's in the Ark? That special container were the tablets on which were written the laws God gave to Moses. The word of the law. Naturally, Solomon wanted to build this temple that would show just how powerful and how glorious God was for the sake of the surrounding nations, so they would know. And for the people of Israel, it would be the central institution for them, a place of worship, sacrifice, for gatherings, and more. The temple would be the place to keep this ark, this box, this container, and its contents. People pay for it. They paid for this construction of the temple through taxes and through trade with other neighboring nations. They were conscripted into labor to build it. We can think about systems like that, and we can know that even though systems are flawed at times, we can expect God to reform and redeem them and us. But it's important to know the lives of the people and the whole nation were centered around this place, this temple held deep meaning for them. It still does. We have this church, don't we? It holds deep meaning for many of us. You see, folks moving out west from places like New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Minnesota and all the Odas, North Dakota and South Dakota. <laughs> In 1948, they were here. They decided, well, they need a place to worship and pray and share life together. So they gathered what they could. And they raised the funds and they built this building. Inflation is what it is. You know, it was cheaper in those days. But I'm sure it was a big project. In 1956, this sanctuary was constructed. And we've seen a lot of changes in this property, too. Things change, don't they? It's not quite Solomon's temple, adorned with gold and cedar. But we gather here for so many of the same reasons. Sing hymns of praise. We come to church to see the ones we love. To share our tears and our joys and our laments, too. We come here to hear a word of grace and good news Maybe to be filled up for another week in the kingdom, to be inspired for service, to connect to the community, to pray, and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's why we come here. That's what this place is for. Luther called it a mouth house, a place where the word is spoken and shared. We know that God is with us wherever we go, but here in worship where we hear the word, where we speak the word, we know God is near. God has promised to be especially near to us as we hear this word and we actually ingest it. Yes, we share the meal in this place and in, with, and under this bread and wine or juice, as the case may be. Christ is fully present with us for you. This was a revelation, a rediscovery of the nearness of God's word for Martin Luther and the reformers who came after him. Things were changing rapidly. So previously, the church in Rome held that, well, only the bread could be given to the, to the lay people, you know, to the great unwashed. The wine reserved for the priests alone. Well, 
people might spill it. And it's consecrated. This is the blood of Christ. We can't just spill it by accident. We don't want to get it on the seeds either, but it may be a practical consideration. But the church, the church treated the word the same way in a lot of ways. It might be dangerous in the hands of the common folk. The word was read, of course, there in these great buildings. The word was read. But the people might not understand it. They might misuse it. They might spill it all over the place. The word was read, of course, in Latin, so most people couldn't understand it if they tried. It was Luke's, Luther's, sorry, Luther's work in reading and studying scripture that was a rediscovery of the essence of the gospel. Justification by grace through faith. Justification by grace through faith. We say we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, but on account of Christ alone. Luther knew the word was the gift. The word that became flesh and blood in Jesus was not just for the priestly ones alone, but for all the people. The word was out of the container. To the authorities in the church, Luther was a rebel to be silenced. He was translating scripture into the language of the people. They could read it for themselves. They could hear it in their own tongue. Luther was a rebel to be silenced, but to the people, he became a hero with the invention of the printing press. The internet of his time, it spread all over. The word went viral. His writings spread quickly. So Luther was excommunicated exactly, just about exactly 500 years ago, January 1521. He went into hiding, and he had to keep himself busy there. So he was translating scripture so that people could hear it and read it and teach it and love it and know it. And the word lived among the people once again. Some of you might be lifelong, lifelong Lutherans. Raise your hand. It's a good test. Maybe you've dabbled in, in other Christian families too. You come from different church backgrounds. That's great. Maybe you've spent time in places that call, people call themselves Baptists or Pentecostals or Episcopalians or Presbyterians or Methodists. These were all formed after the beginning of the Reformation in 1517. And we all know of Jesus and his love. We all have this same word. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith by Christ alone. And some might differ in how they describe just how this happens. But we all can agree with the Apostle, the Apostle Paul that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The word lives and it is spoken and shared and brings this freedom for our hearts to know we are not bound to the shackles of sin anymore. But we are freed by grace by grace alone. And we can go out into the world and share that and spread it around. Where the word lives, it is spoken and shared. And this Holy Spirit is in us and with us and working to build that faith in us. Brings us through struggles. Reminds us of the love that we share in this place together. Brings us to hear and believe this good news for us. And the word lives and works in and on us. And we hear it in the songs that we sing. And we read it in scripture. And we hang it on our walls. And we, we put it on our bumper stickers. We carry it with us everywhere we go. Maybe you've got a keychain and some scripture on it. And carry it around with you. The word works in us and on us. We are free and forgiven and loved into new life. And the word lives not just in the temple, of course. Not just in buildings made of bricks and stone and stucco, but in us, 
We are where the Word lives. Since the Word came to live and to dwell with us and to die and rise for us, so we don't have an ark in this place. We've got a lot of stuff in shelves and drawers and cabinets and cupboards, but we don't have an ark. But in the middle of this place, we do have a cross. This cross is a powerful reminder of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has called each and every one of us through the Word. We, like this building, become a container for the glory of God. And our role is to open up a window and fling wide the doors to the temples of our hearts and our minds and our mouths. Let that good stuff out. And to share that goodness and grace of God when we leave here. We tell the story. We proclaim God's power and majesty and love to ones who are hurting, who have been shackled to systems of injustice, injured by human prejudice. We're locked out of loving relationships for too long. We hear the word and we're freed from all those things that held us down in the past. And we're saved and sent and washed and welcomed and called to carry out the work that we have in our own communities. God has a home in us. And the word abides in us. God has built these buildings of flesh and blood. And they are holy dwelling places too. Temples loved, always changing, always being made new. Amen. Amen.